against God. It is not just freedom. Actually, it is slavery. Now, I know for some of you, the word slavery is a deep, thick, baggage-filled word. So please stick with me in the sense that I'm using it. But what the Bible says is, the more you sin, now I just want you to imagine each link in this chain being your continued sin. That each time you sin, you're creating this chained down nature to the thing you keep doing. And whether it's pride or power or greed or lust or whatever it is, fill in the blank for you. What you think, I can do whatever I want. It's my life, it's my body, it's my budget, it's my bank account, it's my family, it's my car, it's my house. And the more my, 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 my's you add up, what you're really doing is just becoming more enslaved to that thing. And what the Bible teaches us is the more you do it, the more it controls you. My last pastor used to say, you got what you want, but then what you want got you. I realize it's terrible English, but it sounds good when it's coming off the tongue. You got what you want, but then what you want got you. And what we don't realize is we think I'm allowed to do what I want. I can do whatever I want, but what I'm really doing is weighing myself down with a tremendous burden, a tremendous load. I literally had one friend. A Christian caught up in sin and he said, it just felt like I was trying to run away from this cart that was carrying this tremendous weight. And I knew if I could just stay one step ahead of it, it'd never catch up to me. And what I didn't know is if it would finally catch up to me, that I would be better off. And when the weight of the cart finally ran over his life, he found freedom instead of slavery. Now, here's the thing that the Bible teaches us, and I'll show this to you in a minute in Scripture. Here's what the Bible teaches us. God is God. And since God is God, he gets to make the rules. And because he's made the rules, this isn't just a matter of do or don't. This is a matter of your creator, the one who made you, made you in a very certain and specific way. He knows how you tick. And because of that, he has placed into the hearts of every man and every woman what I believe is the book of Ecclesiastes says, eternity. He's placed eternity in the hearts of every man and every woman. You were made in the image of God. And because of that, there's a part of you that cries out for the ways of God, for the things of God. But there's something going to war with you. Your flesh, the devil, the world. We'll get to that in a moment. But as you battle these things, you find yourselves either become a greater slave and under more weight and more burden, or you find yourself at the foot of the cross becoming finally free. I don't want to tell you how to get there in a moment. But I don't know that this analogy is yet making the point for some of you, because some of you are sitting here going, whatever. So it's what most of us try to do. I'm guilty. This is how I know. So I'm assuming most are like me because it's what the scriptures say is the more I recognize how evil I just am, how there's something broken inside my heart, the harder I work to look better for God and others. So then you get statements like, I'm a good person. Look at what I did for that whatever lady down the street, my mom, my sister. I helped at said event. I went and ran in that thing that raised money for cancer patients. I'm a good person. I'm no Hitler. I'm no whatever. I'm good. And what we're really trying to do is to look good for God and look good for others. We're posturing. In fact, if you read the book of Romans chapter 1, what you find is in Romans chapter 1, he says, all of these evil things that we've done have heaped shame on us. And we carry around this weight of shame of knowing that the things we've done are evil. And in fact, 
the evil that we've done, we actually suppress the truth. It says, and I believe it's Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 26. And we suppress the truth. We don't want anybody else to know what we're doing. We suppress the truth, even though the truth keeps bubbling up to the surface and God keeps revealing who he really is. We keep suppressing it and hiding it. How? By doing more good things so that other people will look at us and go, man, that guy, that girl, they've got it all together. That guy, that girl, whoo, I wish I could be like them. But what we're really doing is suppressing our chains. We're covering them up. And the Bible says the more we try to cover up our chains with good works, the worse it gets. In fact, it goes on and it says, that's just another kind of slavery. And so we just keep doing good thing after good thing. Like, God, love me. God, look, I'm good enough. God, I'm not this. I'm not that. And God says, you don't understand. All of your good deeds are nothing more than filthy rags. And I've said this before. It's gross. If you don't want to hear it, cover your ears. But the word there for filthy rags is menstrual rags. Now, why you got to go there, God? Because he wants you to understand that this is just a different kind of slavery. But it's the one that we're all under. So how do I ever get good enough? If my sins weigh me down. And if my good deeds only weigh me down more. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Paul makes his point later in Romans chapter 7 after talking about slavery in chapter 6. And he says, what a wretched man I am. When I want to do good, I find that I don't do it. And when I don't want to do evil, I find that I do do it. I'm trapped. Everywhere I turn, there's slavery. Which is why Jesus says this. I want to pick up his conversation now and see if I can make, I'm going to summarize everything I said through Jesus' words now here. John chapter 8. I feel like Mr. T. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him. I'm going to step off the side here so you can read this better. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now here's what Jesus begins to say. The reality is, if you want to be free then you need to know the truth. Most of us, most of us run from the truth. We run from knowing and understanding what really is going on because the idea of facing what's really going on is so paralyzing and terrifying. This week's message builds on last week's, but you don't have to have heard last week's to get this week's. I do recommend if you weren't here, you go online and listen. If you're listening to this online right now, go back after this and listen to that one. Jesus says the truth will set you free. But then his audience, and you need to go read this, in John chapter 8 in context, the audience that he's talking to is apparently professing a faith in Jesus. But we're not sure what to make of what they're about to say because it looks like while they're professing a faith in Jesus, they don't understand what it means to have faith in Jesus. Take a look at this, uh, John chapter 8, verse 33. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Now, there's an extreme irony here. If you know anything about Jewish history, they've been slaves to everyone. Egypt, Greece, Persia, Babylonians, now Rome. 
I mean, everybody's been their master. But what this is going to is the way that a Jewish person views the world. While there is a political government who is over them, who's their ruler, they've never viewed themselves as under that rule because they were free. Now, don't misunderstand. What they're now saying to Jesus is they're pronouncing their, their freedom that comes from Abraham. And if you don't know the biblical story, God goes to Abraham, this man, he calls him, and he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And that came true. He had a son named Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, and on down until we get to Moses. And Moses is the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were slaves, and he led them into freedom. And when he led them into freedom, what they found is they didn't walk in freedom. They kept wanting to go back to Egypt. They kept wanting to go back to slavery. When Moses finally brought them the law, then the Israelites started to see that their hope, their freedom was in the law of God. Because the law of God told them, you want to be right with God, be circumcised. So now they had arrogance. Look at this. We're saved. How do you know you're saved? We've been circumcised. I know that sounds weird to you today, but that's how the conversation went. What makes you better than anybody else? Well, look at all these religious things we do. When we sin, we sacrifice an animal. We have the laws of God. Unlike those evil pagans, we are good. And that's what these people are saying to Jesus. What do you mean we need you to be free? We are free. We know the laws of God. We've got the ways of God. We walk in them. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Let me just show you how evil you really are. And then he says this in verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And now Jesus begins to point out to the people listening to him exactly what's going on. You think all along you were better than everybody else because you did a little more gooder than everybody else. But the reality is, if you've been sinning, you're a slave. You've been trying to dig your way out and claim Abraham or Moses or the law, you're a slave. And you need someone who's going to set you free. Take a look at the way Paul says this. Romans chapter 6, verse 20, he says this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. What's Paul trying to get to here? What Paul's trying to get to is this. The more you sinned, the more embarrassed you became about what you had done. In fact, another passage Paul writes that he talks about uh, doing the things that your ancestors handed down to you. Can we just be honest for a minute? Okay, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to raise your hand. Just you and God, okay? Just you and God, all right? Nobody else is going to know. You don't have to start sweating. You don't have to give any twitch. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you did things that you desperately hope nobody finds out about? Have something ever happened to you that you're like, man, if others knew, I'm not sure they'd love me or accept me. Have you ever find yourself thinking of doing something that you are truly like, where did that come from? One of my sons is so honest. He will tell me those thoughts. Daddy, I just had this thought about punching you in the face. <laughs> Thanks for telling me getting time out but I didn't do it I'm just kidding I don't 
Oh, if we were all that honest. Slaves. You have three enemies. I referred to this earlier. Let me dig through these for a minute. You have three enemies who want you to be a slave, even more than you already are. And I put them in reverse order, but I did it on purpose. The world. We live in a world that systems are set up for you to fail. You ever notice whatever it is that, that, that is causing the slavery for you, whether it's greed, you ever find that it's so easy to get more? Whether it's lust, it's so easy to see things that trip you up. Whether it's gossip, my goodness, people just keep walking themselves right into your gossip. Isn't it amazing? Pride. I mean, if everybody could be as awesome as you, the list could go on. Power. I mean, you could pick it. Those things deep down at the core. Have you ever noticed how there's a system set up for you to fail? And no matter where you go, Walmart, Kroger, video store, Amazon, the golf club, it's waiting for you. And there's a reason why. That's because there's an enemy. His name is the devil, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on him. Look, I don't want you walking around thinking ghost hunters, okay? I want you going around realizing that there is a really powerful spiritual being, and he wants you to fail. In fact, the Bible says we as believers, we're not clueless. We're not ignorant of his schemes, of his traps. He is literally working the systems of the world to create places where you'll think you're good, you'll think you're strong, and you'll step right in something. And the old analogy that's been used in the Christian faith for years is that of a bait and a hook. I don't fish. After catching a goose and then a frog, I gave up. I'm a better carpenter than I am a fisherman, all right? But what I learned just from listening and talking to other people is, man, nowadays, they've got a lure for everything. You can catch a specific kind of fish with a specific kind of lure. And some of the best ones are shiny, and I hear some of them even have like a scent to them. And the whole idea is that this fish, particular fish, likes a certain kind of thing. Sounds like you, right? You don't necessarily have the struggle of the person sitting next to you, but you've got your slavery that tempts you. And again, it's that whole idea of you get what you want, but then what you want got you. And when you bite down on that thing, you find out it didn't bring lasting pleasure. And the hook gets on you and it reels you in. But the whole reason you're even attracted to that thing, see, you're smarter than a fish. You're smart enough to look at that thing and go, there's nothing real there. It's temporary. It's not even going to feed me. It's not even going to nourish me. But there's this thing inside you. And the Bible calls it your sin nature. And throughout the book of Romans, we find this in Romans 4 and 5, you're going to find that there's a guy named Adam, and Adam is the first man, and he sinned. And since then, every single person born in the history of the world had this thing called sin nature. And it's this idea that inside you is this propensity towards slavery. And you can look at it, and all logical side go, I know this isn't going to do anything except for make me feel ashamed. I know this isn't going to do anything except for make me feel weighed down, and yet I want it. I don't know how to get away from it. And these three things are conspiring to ruin your life. And you think, I'm free! But in those quiet moments when nobody else is around, you know you're not free. And you know you need freedom. Paul goes on and he says this, Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sin nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, 
idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and just in case you didn't hit them all, and other sins like these. Anybody off the hook? Let me tell you again, as I have before, Paul says, and this is huge, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you leave here today and you do not know Jesus, I need you to understand the weight you are under. It's huge. I got to tell you, I didn't really realize how heavy these would be as I practiced this at Lowe's a little bit. (laughs) By about halfway through my sermon last service, I went, oh man, I'm going to need to leave. (laughs) But you know that I thought that's an appropriate analogy. Because most of us are arrogant enough, prideful enough to think we can handle it. We can control it. And when you're younger and stronger, yeah, maybe you can fool it and fake it for a while, but sooner or later, it catches up to you. Imagine trying to do this every day of your life. Sooner or later, you just start to break down. And here's what Paul says. Romans, or sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, though, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And what you need to picture in that moment is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, crying out, as we've said before, to tell us time, it is finished. And the tense of that verb is an action that's taking place in the moment, but it has a past and a future effect. And in other words, what Jesus is saying is on the cross, every chain has been laid upon him. And now picture Jesus on the cross, carrying every single link and every single chain for every single man, woman, and child that will cast it upon him. And he carries that weight until the day he comes back. And so now, those who have come to Christ Jesus, don't find like Paul in Romans 7, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the very thing I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to free me from this life of sin and death, Paul says. And then he starts Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Praise be to God that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The chains have been dropped, placed upon him. Freedom, freedom is yours. Because the truth of Jesus Christ has set you free. That's why Jesus, actually, let's stick with Paul. Romans chapter six, Paul goes on, he says this. But now, now, you are free. from the power of sin and you have become slaves of God and now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord this is one of the most famous passages you will hear 
in the Bible. This is right up there with John 3.16, Romans 3.23. It's right there. Because the whole idea is all these things you were doing earned you not just slavery, but death. But praise be to God. He freed you from all of that by his love, by his mercy, by his grace. But now, don't miss this, here's where Christian freedom is not what you think it is. Christian freedom is defined by trading your old chains for a new set. Christian freedom is actually slavery. Well, then what's the point? Oh, because it's everything. Jesus says this, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me. All you who are weary and tired and overwhelmed, I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus says, come to me. Give me the chains. Give me the weight. Give me the exhaustion, and I'll make you a trade. But realize, realize what you're coming to. You're not just coming to Jesus to cast off the chains. You're coming to Jesus to cast off off the chains and say, I'm finally free. Now free to do what, Lord? Free to do what, Savior? Free to do what, Master? What do you want from me? And he says, it's easy, it's easy. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yeah, there's a work to be done, there's a work to do, but the greatest work, the work that you've been trying to overcome with all your good deeds, you couldn't do it on your own, I've taken that. And now I've given you a work that's fit just for you. Step one of that work, become a slave of righteousness. Paul makes this point even further. You can read this now. Galatians chapter five, verse one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Go on to chapter five, verse six. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? And it certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to do what? Serve one another in love. Now let's put all of these things I just read and smash them together into one thing that Paul's trying to say. What Paul's trying to get to is when you come to Jesus Christ, you trade sin slavery for God slavery. God slavery is easy. God slavery is wired for you. God slavery is him saying, I love you. I've redeemed you. I've restored you. Now offer me your body. Offer me your mind. Offer me your heart. Offer me your soul. Not so that I will love you, but because... I do love you because I offered you my life. I've talked to a couple friends who've come back from some of the wars in Afghanistan. And I tell them, or I ask them, does it feel good to be home? And they'll often say, yes, but. What do you mean, but? Like, why would you want to go back? And they say, you don't understand My brothers, my sisters are still over there. And I love them, and I feel like I owe it to them. And I realize, look, any analogy I use when it comes to Christ breaks down because nobody here is Christ. 
But there's something in that, that idea of when I gaze upon the cross, when I understand the love of Christ, when I understand all that he did in carrying all my weight to set me free, what it should do is stir in me, move in me, to make me long for me, to be one with him, to serve him, and to make him proud, to realize that he took from me what I couldn't get rid of on my own. And then he says, now I've got a purpose for you. In fact, I want to read the same verse, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, in the English Standard Version, and it says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This word right here, opportunity, you're going to find it in almost every translation except for the one we usually use here, the New Living Translation. They've taken it out for some reason. And this word here, I love it. This word opportunity is the Greek word aforme. It literally means a starting point or a base of operations for a journey. That's literally what it means. So what you get is, in this word opportunity, you get this gathering of people. And they gather together and they say, we're about to head out on this journey. We're going to head out on this endeavor. And we're getting everything gathered. Now let's go. And what Paul is saying is, you're free in Jesus Christ. You're free to do whatever you want. So don't use your freedom to do whatever you want to serve yourself. Don't use your freedom to do whatever you want to serve your flesh. Don't use your freedom to do whatever you want to go back to the old chains and try to earn favor with God. Instead, use your freedom as an opportunity, as a starting point to go forward in faith and say, I will give God my best, not so he'll love me, not so others will be impressed, but because he loves me. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And it is a complete mindset shift for some of you who've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're still walking in the old slavery. Some of you are still walking in the old slavery by continuing to sin. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans 6 when he says, should we go on sinning so that grace could increase? And then he screams, by no means, may it never be. Could you sin more so that grace would increase more because you can't out-sin grace? And Paul says, yeah, technically, maybe. But why in the world would you want to? When you realize what it is you are doing, it's not freedom. And in the same regard, could you go back to the old ways? Could you go back to serving the flesh and trusting in things like circumcision or good works to make you right with God? Well, you could, but why would you want to? It's exhausting. You and your heart know you can never do enough to please God over your sin. The only thing you can plead, as Paul says, is Christ and him crucified. So we plead the blood of Christ. And then we find we can boast in it and nothing else. And by pleading what the Lord has done, now we're free to serve. That was really loud. Free, freed, freed to serve. Let me just ask you a question, because I realize in this room, on July 4th at 9.15, most of you call Kingsway home, most of you. Do you find yourself doing certain things so that God will love you? Do you find yourself doing your quiet time, or if you miss, you say something like, I need to get back into that because I don't want to disappoint God. This is guilt. Man, I need to go to church. Why? So that, man, I messed up last week. I better get back in for a while. Get my good stuff going over my bad stuff. Man, I better turn on Caleb. I've been listening to too much sports radio. You find yourself doing that. Because all you've done is traded one slavery for another. 
But do you also sit there and do you find yourself, listen, I know there are some of you in this room, I've been praying for you this week. Do you find yourself going, it doesn't matter because Jesus died? It doesn't matter that I'm dishonest on my taxes. It doesn't matter that I don't work as hard and my boss doesn't know it and I'm not getting caught. It doesn't matter that I'm looking at things on my phone or the computer and nobody knows it. It doesn't matter that I've got this person on the side and nobody has a clue. Do you find yourself saying that and then you follow it up with, but Jesus died. Because if you're doing either of those two things, you're walking in slavery. And God wants you to be free. But for what? For a purpose. So that you are free to live for him. So that the next time you've got a quiet time scheduled in the morning or at night in the afternoon, you don't go, oh, I need to do that or I'm failing God. You go, man, I can't wait to be with the one who loves me no matter what. And if you miss, you don't go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm a horrible person. You say, God, thank you for loving me anyway. I'll see you tomorrow. And if you're somebody who shows up at church so you could feel better about yourself, may God make you feel terrible today. Okay, maybe not. But <laughs> may you realize how much your father loves you. And you show up next week to experience that love. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. I jumped around in my notes if you're following on the uh, app. John chapter 8, verse 35. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family how long? What Jesus is getting to, remember, we're going all the way back to where we started, this conversation with those people who are pleading who they are and what they've done. And Jesus says, you're still a slave because you're a slave to sin. And you just think you're good because you're doing better than everybody else. What Jesus is now saying, but look, listen, I'll make you a trade. I'll go first. I'll die. I'll raise from the dead. I'll take your chains. And now you don't have to be called slave. You can be called family member. You can move from slave to sonship. See, a slave in Jesus' day, they didn't have the rights of a family member. They didn't get all the inheritance. They didn't get all the blessing. They were literally a different status. And Jesus says, in God's kingdom, everybody's a different status. But if you want to come to me, know the truth, the truth will set you free, walk in my footsteps, you will have freedom. And because of that, you'll have sonship, daughtership. You'll be a princess. You'll be a prince in the kingdom of almighty God. But inside this kingdom, there's a way that we walk. Inside this kingdom, there's a way that we live. That's why he goes on. Paul in Romans chapter 6 verse 13 now he says this do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin instead give yourselves completely to God for you were dead but now you have new life so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God Again, what Paul's building on is this new version of slavery. It's a slavery to righteousness. It's an idea that it's not hard because it's easy because you have the Holy Spirit and it's freeing. Remember how Jesus says it's better to give than to what? Receive. But that's backwards from what most people in the world think. Most people think if I get, I get, I get, I'm free. And Jesus says, no, no, it's opposite. See, if you give, you give, you give, you're free. It's actually better for you. And this is the upside down thinking. What Jesus does is he clarifies for us what we think is freedom is slavery and what he says is actually freedom is freedom. And what is that? To live for God. To use our bodies to honor God. 
to put sin behind us and leave it at the cross. And then to literally surrender our bodies as instruments, instruments to do what is right. This idea here is then to say, okay, now I could pick up these same tools and I can do the same works that I did before, but I could do them in freedom. I'm no longer hindered by trying to make God love me. He already loves me. I'm no longer hindered by trying to get you to think good about me or to think that I got it all put together because you know what? It doesn't matter what you think. I know I'm a sinner in need of grace and Jesus gave it to me. It doesn't mean don't do work anymore. It means the work comes easy because I'm no longer encumbered by the chains. It's a whole lot easier, let me tell you, to preach this sermon without those chains. Be a whole lot easier to do the yard work without those chains. Be a whole lot easier to live your life without those chains. If you were to read your entire New Testament, you would find of all the rules, of all the laws, what is the one thing we must do? Jesus summarizes it like this. Love who? God. And then he adds on there. Let me tell you one more. Love others. Paul says it like this. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. The whole law could be summed up in this one command. Love your what? Neighbor as you love yourself. All the laws, over 300 in the Old Testament, summarized in that one, love. You want to come to Jesus Christ, cast down your burdens, today's your day. Today's your day. Just realize you're making one trade, and it's a huge trade. You're trading all of your selfish living for yourself for the love of others, for the love of God. That's the trade you're making. If you're not willing to make that trade, don't come. If you're not willing to lay down your life at the cross, find a different church. Thank you. If you're not willing to come to Jesus on Jesus' terms, then find yourself another savior. He doesn't make a compromise here. I promise, read your New Testament. Read the book of Romans. There's no option to come to Jesus and have another substitute Savior, including yourself. You either come to him as a dead man or a dead woman, or you've gone to some other God. Jesus constantly in the Gospels, and it blows me away, he's constantly turning away the crowds. John chapter 6, John chapter 8, and the list goes on. He's constantly telling them, count the cost. Realize what you're doing. It's easy to become a believer because I will give you the power you need through the power of the Holy Spirit. But don't come to me with one hand on your chains and one hand on the cross trying to do both. It's me or it's your chains. Pick. Friends, I'll tell you this because I know how hard it is. Some of you, You will breathe your last breath one day and you will stand before your maker. And we find out in the book of Matthew, some of you will say, Lord, Lord, look at all that I have done. Jesus tells the story. Some of you will say, I've cast out demons. I've healed people all in your name. And he will look at them and say, who are you? I don't know you. And then he'll literally say, away from me, you evildoer, I don't know you. You ever read that story and become baffled like, but Jesus, look at all that they did for you. He says, doing for me isn't what it's all about. Doing through me, doing with me, that's what it's all about. Doing 
for me so I'll love you so others will think you're awesome. That's not freedom. It's time to cast down the chains. So here's where this lands home for me. Last October, November, I was in a men's group. And we read it through the book of Acts, which I preached earlier this year. And we got to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now don't start rustling yet. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. The disciples come to Jesus. He's about to lead them. And they say, what do you need to do next, Jesus? And he says, I want you to wait patiently. Ugh, why does he say things like that? He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come and live inside you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have power, power from on high. And when the Holy Spirit enters into you, you're going to be my witnesses. Literally, the word there is where we get our word martyr. You're going to be my martyrs to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. As I started reading that with this group, I felt like the Lord was telling me something. We had an elders retreat earlier this year. I think it was in February. And we got together and the elders got together and prayed through the weekend and said, we believe that God is calling us to focus on this world intentionally. We came out of that, and Billy Edmonds came on staff, and Brad Deerdorf came into a different position here, and we started meeting and talking, and we just this thing just kind of kept changing and morphing and changing and morphing to where we are today. And so I'll, next week, I get to tell you all about something that we call the journey, the journey. And it's based off Acts chapter 1, 8. I'll step to the side here. And next week, we'll be launching with phase one. There's going to be four phases, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And next week, I don't want to tell you all about it now. Next week, I'll just tell you this. Next week, I'm going to stand up and challenge you to walk in the freedom that God gives. The freedom where God has accepted you and received you and changed you for serving him. And I'm going to ask you, I'm just telling you now, I'm going to ask you to follow in that call. To stand up and serve Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I'll tell you about the first one next week. But would you join me right now? and praying for God to do an awesome work in us. I figure if it's July 4th, most of you in this room are Kingsway people. I realize some of you aren't. That's okay, because what I'm about to do will be weird for you, and I'm sorry that you chose to come on a Sunday when most people don't come. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask everybody. You don't have to. If you don't know Jesus, you're not sure about him, you don't even have to feel weird. You can just sit and say you've got a knee problem. I'm going to ask everybody in this room to kneel. You can turn and face your chair if that's more comfortable because it's a slope floor. You can kneel where you are. You can go into the, and we're just going to pray. And when I'm done praying, we're going to go into communion time. You can see we've got communion set up all over the room. And you're going to take that bread and you're going to take that juice. And just listen, you're not going to do this. Oh, God, I'm a terrible sinner. I'm so sorry I've been a slave. You're going to go to him and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your mercy. Jesus, take my sin. And you're going to confess it to him. And you're going to take that bread and that juice. And you're going to eat it and you're going to drink. And you're going to say, thank you for loving me. And you're going to pray all week, God, show me where to serve. But I will say this before we kneel. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I beg you, don't walk out of here a slave. While the rest of us are taking communion, you go right over there to that, underneath that screen, and we will meet you over there and tell you about Jesus. Let's get on our knees. Oh, God. Lord, I want to pray for just a few things right now. Number one, I pray for those among us both today and those who are coming, those you're going to bring to this church over the next year. Oh, God, 
They're coming to you with tremendous slavery and they don't know it. Maybe some right now are being convinced for the first time that they're really not free. They're slaves. They keep trying and they keep going back. And Lord, I pray your spirit is convicting them. But God, they need you. They need freedom. Father, right now I pray, I beg you to convict them of their sin, to let this be a gathering of people who are so transformed by your love that they sense your presence when they come in here and are convicted, God, by our conviction and that they surrender to you. I pray that today for some man or a woman who's been sitting in here playing games with you, that today they're ready to surrender. God, I pray for the person who calls himself a believer but is playing games with you also. They're walking with one hand wrapped up in chains and one hand holding onto a cross. And they're desperately in need of freedom, but they're so afraid to drop the chains because it's become familiar to them. It's become their safe place, this thing that they could go to to feel better for a fleeting moment. But God, you promise us your justice will be done, that we will reap what we sow. And God, I pray right now for that man or woman that they would finally and forever drop those chains. God, give them repentance that they might walk and freedom with you, surrender to righteousness, and find that it really is an easy burden. God, right now, I pray for the believer, the one who is set free and living with you and for you. God, would you convict our hearts? God, help those who are literally in the grasp of Satan's traps right now. He's laying out something for them, and they're about to do something they know they'll regret. God, convict them now. May they turn back and see it for what it is. And God, help us to truly love, love our neighbors in the same way we love ourselves. We make sure that we worship you. God, help us to love our neighbors enough to share the gospel. We make sure that we come to church and take part in amazing worship. God, help us to love our neighbors and make sure that they get the same thing. God, we come to this amazing building and, and we, we, we love to take part in the communion and, and having clean bathrooms and, and God, having classrooms where Bible studies are taught and the things that are put together. God, help us to love everybody else in this room and those outside this room in the same way. God, set our hearts ablaze with the Holy Spirit that we would be free to serve you, not so you'll love us, but because you do. And God, as we meet you, transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Go take communion.